have that peace, then you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. Amen. How many is glad to be in the house of the Lord on this beautiful Sunday morning? Are you glad to be here? Let's just give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I know I'm certainly glad to be here. Um, It may be a little rainy on the outside, but we're going to have some spiritual rain on the inside this morning. Did you come expecting? It's been a little while since I've stood back here, so don't be nervous. You know how I am. I just like to bust out of the gate running. I'm excited to be here, and we're going to have a little church. Let's sing this old chorus, Key of A. The church is going higher than it's been before. Marching on to Zion, there to live forevermore. We'll renew all acquaintances we've known before. The church is going higher than it's been before. Oh, sing that again. Yes, this church is going higher than it's been before. Marching on to Zion, there to live forevermore. We'll renew all acquaintances we've known before. The church is going higher than it's been before. But you know what I like? I'm in this church. 
this glorious church. I did not join, no, I was born, I've had a new birth. Some glorious day, I'm gonna sail away. It's by His grace, not by my works, I'm in this church. Oh, yes, I'm in this church, this glorious church. I did not join, no, I was born, I've had a new birth. Some glorious day, I'm gonna sail away. It's by His grace, not by my works, I'm in this church. And this church is going higher than it's been before. Marching on to Zion, there to live forevermore. We'll renew all acquaintances we've known before. The church is going higher than it's been before. And I'm in this church, this glorious church. I did not join, no, I was born, I've had a new birth. Some glorious day, gonna sail away. It's by His grace, not by my works. I'm in this church. Oh, one more time. I'm in this church, this glorious church. I did not join, no, I was born, I've had a new birth. Some glorious day, gonna sail away. It's by His grace, not by my works. I'm in this church. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Some of you are singing like you're glad to be a part of that church. Are you glad to be a part of that church? Amen. Amen. Let's sing this old song, uh, the key of F, our Lord's return. <clears throat> is that one in the in the database? <clears throat> there it is. I'm looking forward to that, and I believe it's a whole lot closer than what we think, don't you? <clears throat> I am watching for the coming of that glad millennial day When our blessed Lord shall come and catch His waiting bride away Oh, my heart is filled with rapture as I labor, watch and pray For the Lord is coming back to earth again Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no temper then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Jesus coming back will be the answer to earth's sorrow and cry. For the knowledge of the Lord shall fill the earth and sea and sky. God shall take away all sickness and the sufferers' tears will dry. When our Savior shall come back to earth again. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no temper then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Yes, the ransomed of the Lord shall come to Zion then with joy. And in all His holy mountain nothing hurts or shall destroy. Perfect peace shall reign in every heart and love without a Lord. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. 
Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no temple then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. The sin and sorrow, pain and death of this dark world will cease. In a glorious reign with Jesus of a thousand years of peace. All the earth is groaning, crying for that day of sweet release. For our Jesus to come back to earth again. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years, we'll have no temptation. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Oh, yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no temptation. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Amen. It's something on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. There's something on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Something on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. It's the Holy Ghost on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. It's the Holy Ghost on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. It's the Holy Ghost on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. It's the Word on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. It's word on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. It's the word on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, it's It's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. It's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life.
I just had that song on my heart. I was thinking this week as, as I was out, I had uh, spent some time down in Atlanta this week. And, you know, being out and around all over the, the country, I'm, I am amazed at how fast that the country's standards, per se, at people that, you know, they've just, it's like they've been completely hypnotized and have just taken this turn towards moral decay that's just totally, it amazes me at how fast it's happened. I mean, we know that, that things was going to change, and but when you see how it just seems like it changed overnight, and I was thinking this week, I thought, Lord, what if it had not been for you, I would have been following that same path. And people say, well, how in the world can you can you believe in God? How can you believe this message? Because I know the man that I was before I met him. And I had no desire whatsoever to go this route. When I turned 18 years old, I run from it. I wanted to go. I got away. But God's grace and mercy, Brother Joe, he didn't have to. He called me back. And I just want to sing this song before we change the order of the service. I was thinking of this song, If That Isn't Love, Kids You. I just love the words to this old song, and it just it certainly fits. Somebody that's such a wretch as I was. And he left the splendor of heaven for me because he saw something in me that even I couldn't see. My friends, we're such a blessed people. We ought to be so thankful and so so happy that we are where we are. God's grace and mercy. He left the splendor of heaven. Knowing His destiny was the If that is unloved, the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky, and the
here we want to remember uh, a request here to remember uh, Emily and Stephen Menard uh, they're here with us but uh, let's remember that brother Roger Gibbs had a minor surgery and is at home recovering so we want to remember brother Roger we want to continue to uh, remember uh, brother Jeff Jackson as he is still recovering from his uh, surgery that he had this week also uh, uh, we want to remember uh, uh, Sister Jesse Cockman and the kids as they're out in Nebraska. We want to continue to remember Sister Karen. This, that she's here with us this morning. We want to remember her, that the Lord would just touch her hip. Also, we want to continue to remember uh, Sister Karen Pruitt. Uh, the Irishes and the McCafferty's are away. I'd also got a couple of requests that I'd like for you to remember. Uh, one for, I've got a a first cousin that lives out in Washington, and she's been diagnosed with, uh, she's in stage three uh, breast cancer. She's 42 years old, and is having to go through some uh, chemotherapy and treatment right now. But I uh, just ask you to remember her in prayer. Also, a really good friend of mine, been friends for many, many years. He's a pastor of a little Baptist church up in uh, Mitchell County where we used to live. Um, he was diagnosed with uh, cancer in his uh, brain, his liver, his spine, and uh, in his lungs. A <clears throat> uh, week before last, the doctors told him he had two days to live. Well, yesterday he put out a message and told everybody that contrary to what they had heard, he wasn't going anywhere, that he truly believed that God had a plan for him and he was fighting and he was not given Satan any opportunity whatsoever to get any kind of credit for taking him down and uh, I heard this morning that they were looking to move him from the hospice house back to his house so we know God is God is a healer and I just ask you to remember he's a real dear friend of mine he's he's uh, he's never been married he takes care of his mother uh, and uh, she's not been in good health but he's just uh, just a wonderful wonderful individual loves the Lord so just ask you to remember his name uh, in prayer. Scotty Jenkins is his name. Brother Bill, if you would come and take these requests. Let's bow our hearts for the Lord. Our kind Heavenly Father, we're honored to be here, Lord. And we just appreciate this revealed word, how you've drawn us to you, Lord. And I was listening to a service this morning at home, and the question was, do you question your love for him and the mistakes we make through our life? Lord, do I really love you? And the pastor said, focus on his love for you, how much he 
died for you. And he has drawn us to this revealed word for a purpose. We're not here by chance. And we just are so grateful, Lord, that you have blessed us this way and brought us to your bosom. And we just ask you to uh, bless the service today, Lord. We just feel your presence today, and we just such a sweet spirit in the church this morning, Lord. And we just know that you're here and ask you to speak through our pastor, Lord, to our hearts. And we ask you to answer all these requests, Lord, the healing requests, the people who are gone. And, Lord, you know the people, the names, the hearts of the people. And we submit all these to you, Lord, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother Bill, God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Uh, We've got um, three specials we're going to have this morning. I would like to have uh, Sister Kristen to come at this time. Uh, We're thrilled to have Sister Faye with us here this morning. We have a request for her and also uh, Sister Lily. Uh, So if you all would come on at this time. Look, oh, 
drafted. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Wayne's not here, so somebody has to do it. <laughs> I'm singing this for my daughter. Uh, Y'all have heard me sing it so many times, but, you know, it's just when we think about what heaven really means to us, and we'll get out of this world and be with him forever. So y'all pray for me. Country where no twilight Shadows deepen on ending day where night will never be. A city where the storm clouds never gather. Oh. 
this next verse means everything.
Whose he saves are his delight Christ will hold me fast Precious in his holy sight He will hold me fast He'll not let my soul be lost His promises shall Let's all stand. We'll have the ushers come at this time. Brother Tom, if you'd bless the offering. Amen. Let's just sing this song as Brother Barry comes. I believe everybody's ready to receive. I worship you, Almighty God. I worship you, Almighty God. There is none like you. I worship of peace that is what 
seated this morning. Hold that thought in that position. Musicians, we're going to sing that again. Sister Florence, if you would come, she uh, had a song in her heart this morning, so we'll have her come and and do that before we uh, sing that chorus again. We want to remember a couple of things. Brother Joel Johnson uh, needs a healing touch in his back, and so we'll, uh, if you don't mind, we'll remember him as well. And uh, great to have uh, the Godwins with us today. God bless you, Brother Billy. It's always good to see you and uh, good to have you here. We're going to do a dedication today of uh, Lillian Joy, and uh, that's an honor and great to have you here. Great to have the coffees here, and uh, we are honored to have all of you and the visitors here. And this is the Whedon girls, right? You're a Whedon. Who else is a Whedon? You're a Whedon. Are you Creed's daughters? Wonderful, wonderful. You tell him I said hello, all right? Haven't seen him in a while. Good to have you with us today. And uh, Laura and Emily, 
Hannah, okay, and there's a Laura. Welcome everybody. <laughs> let's just let's just do it that way. Welcome everybody. Sister Stephanie, God bless you. Sister Florence, go ahead. There's going to be a meeting in the air, in the sweet, sweet bar and bye. bless you. Forgive me for getting names mixed up. I got a lot of, uh, I get multiple notes, you know, before we come out here about uh, uh, different people who are here and visitors and so forth. So forgive me for that. I'll remember your phone number better than I would remember your name. 
That's just the way I'm built, and you're going to have to take that up with God. All right, let's stand to our feet, have your way. Let's uh, sing a little chorus as we look to him this morning in prayer. If you have a need this morning on your heart, something that you want God to speak about and speak to, then I believe he's attentive to our cry. Let's sing it this morning. Have your way. Lord, have your way. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and have your way. And Father, as we bow in your presence this morning and consider, Lord, an honor and a privilege to be able to come and gather around the tree of life, we ask and pray in the name of Jesus that you would just take every spirit, including my own, Lord, under your control for the glory of God, and that, Lord, you might be able to flow from vessel to vessel and speak to every heart. Lord, we we love the gatherings of your people, and we love the gifts that you place within the hearts of your people. But, Lord, your presence is something that's so far above anything that we could say or do. It means so much to us. Lord, I pray that you would just forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we know you to be a healer today, the same as you ever were, a deliverer, one who dissolves doubt, one who takes away all of our fears and all of our, all of our doubts and concerns, Lord. We place everything at your feet today. And ask that you would anoint both speaker and hearer for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, if you don't mind, just so we, uh, we don't have you standing and sitting too much there. Philippians, the second chapter. Thank you, musicians. We'll let you take your places there. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to do that dedication just a little bit, uh, a little bit later here. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Very familiar passage of scripture, but it's familiar because this is one that we encounter a lot in the message and one that we uh, read many times. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross may the lord add his blessing you may be seated this morning now let me just do a couple of quick announcements here this morning we're taking uh, extra, extra special specials here today but uh, we are thankful for that. July 16th is, uh, was Sister uh, uh, Mary and Brother Richard's anniversary, and uh, we certainly miss them. They stream regularly, and uh, we are thankful 
for Brother and Sister Smith and just pray that the Lord will bless them. I believe it's 44 years uh, this week. Also, uh, July 16th was John Anthony Harwell. Emma is there and Sister Laura uh, is are there visiting. July 17th is Bridley Hughes' birthday. How old is Bridley going to be? Six years old. Thank you. Six years old and loving it, by the way. July 18th is Sister Sheba's birthday, and uh, we're thankful for the Javeds. They listen very faithfully. Uh, July 21st is Titus Mayle's birthday. How old is Titus going to be? Seven years old. Good to have you here today, Titus. July 22nd is the Whitlock's anniversary. How many years? 33 years. Wonderful. We appreciate Brother David and Sister Carrie very much, and uh, not only friends, but co-laborers, and may God give you a wonderful day. Also, uh, David and Jesse Cockman. David is not here, I assume. He's uh, uh, with John and family, and uh, we wish them a happy anniversary. And then also, uh, Jeff and Anna Jackson on the 24th of January, or July. And uh, we wish them a happy anniversary as well. Uh, Brother Jeff is recovering. Uh, when you're dealing with the thyroid, it affects so many parts of your body, and uh, his, you know, his body's recovering from the shock of, of the surgery. But the doctors seem to be happy with the uh, with the work that's been done. So uh, we want to pray that God will continue to give Brother Jeff strength. A couple of dates to remember here, and there's more. We're, we're going to add a couple of other items that are in here. Uh, July 25th is uh, our youth meeting. I had put it in, uh, I, I think I had said Saturday, July 25th, and it was, uh, this is a Sunday meeting, okay? So it's not Saturday, it's Sunday. Uh, September 5th is uh, Labor Day meetings. Brother John Andes, Brother Paul LaFontaine are going to be here uh, for Saturday. We're going to have Saturday night and then two meetings on Sunday. Uh, September 24th is the men's meeting, and then December 18th is the year, Saturday night for the end of our year uh, gathering, and then also the youth retreat, which follows that. And uh, we're working on the youth retreat website for the registration to open up in September. We'll uh, let you know more about that uh, coming up soon. Now, uh, I just wanted to, to say that uh, the the thing with uh, the work that's being done with uh, Vision Books has become kind of, uh, broad, broader uh, than than I can keep up with, in terms of communicating what's going on. There are uh, there are books and Bibles that are going out all over the world now, and uh, places like Haiti and Nigeria and uh, Chile, and I mean just just all kinds of places that are new, and that involves uh, lots of technical work in, in getting all of that done. And I've recently just, you know, up to now, just been putting out pictures and not giving them real uh, justice. So we're, gonna, we're working on changing the way that we present uh, what's happening here. But there's, as a result of now evangelists going out with books and Bibles, there's, there's real, real transformation that's going on uh, in the way evangelism is being done in countries. And entire countries are shifting uh, the way things have been done up till now. They're, they're so excited and they're so happy to have uh, the, the books and, and we're, uh, we, we send out uh, anything that uh, Brother Brandon preached in, in print, any language, anywhere in the world uh, with, with Bibles that we can accumulate in that country. These are a couple of women who are in uh, Zimbabwe who have Shona Bibles. 
and uh, Brother Aaron has got a whole section of pictures and testimonies that, uh, that he sent me a link for that I've not shown because I haven't figured out a good way yet really to show them. But it's just fantastic to see how they organize the distribution of all of this stuff in a the, in the country as big as Zimbabwe. How many believers would you say are in Zimbabwe alone? I mean, it's almost like the Congo. Thousands and thousands and thousands of believers in, in churches all over the place. Uh, would, would you want to put out a number? A lot. I mean, it's just incredible. So when you talk about 5,000 books, 5,000 church-age books, that's a drop in the bucket to a country like Zimbabwe. That's, that's really almost nothing. But it, it's happening, and, and it's, it's, uh, we're just so thankful for that. And, and forgive me, I, I don't want to take up a lot of time in doing this. We're, we're, we're working on doing a better newsletter, better website, uh, information giving out so that you can go look at it and, and we'll have it available for you. We're working on that now. But I want to take you to one little testimony, all right, in Kamanga, Tanzania. Now, I've never been here before. This is right, uh, this is uh, on Lake Victoria, and I was up in that area uh, with John Anthony, actually, when he came with me uh, there. And here's the, here's the area that we're talking about. This blue area is Lake Victoria. Okay, so this is Lake Victoria. There's several churches that are in Tanzania on this side of Lake Victoria. Over here is Rwanda. Up here is Uganda. And Tebe is right here on the coast. This is Kenya, and this is Tanzania right here. So this little group, uh, a week ago, Brother Elias went to visit this group that are up there. It's a relatively new group, but they're establishing the message. And it was one of those situations like... We've seen before where they meet in a house, they get too big, they meet under a tree out on the street, get too big, and then they, they need a place to worship. So last Sunday, Brother Elias was there. After he visited the church last Sunday, he, uh, he wrote me, and he said, this is just a wonderful group. He said, they're just running out of space, don't have any place at all to worship. And he said, uh, you know, would it be possible that we could... Uh, uh, help them out in building a church. And this is uh, Brother, uh, right in the middle here, a little short guy is Brother Exoud. And uh, he does, he is a very tireless evangelist, travels all around the country and uh, visits in this area uh, where, where these believers are in Kamanga. So I said, I uh, wrote him back immediately and I said, yes, let's, let's help him out. Let's get a structure built for the people there and uh, let me know how much it costs. So he gave me a figure. And so this was Monday, and Brother Elias took four other brothers, and they went from Arusha over to visit here, and, and it's a, a pretty good journey. But they raised up the first post on Monday morning. And uh, we started the Namanga Church today. He said, we'll continue tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning. And I, I came with builders from Arusha. He said, I'll send more pictures tomorrow. I said, yeah, I'd really like to see the pictures of the development. Now, in the middle here, holding the post is Brother Elias. And it looks like he's dressed for church here. He's got his church shoes on but nonetheless he's right in the middle of the group there and helping out with the the building of the church this was tuesday july 13th this is wednesday july 14th this was thursday july 15th and they're having service that's not bad (laughs) brother joe that's not bad i mean that's pretty good and so they all gathered outside, and Brother Elias said, the work in the manga was finished today. Thank you so much. They thank you so much. Much appreciated. Thank you, and God bless you. $1,500. Wow. 
And one Sunday they're under the tree, this Sunday they're in church. I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty neat to be able to do that. But that's just the kind of people they are. And Brother Elias, you know, he's got these builders and uh, <clears throat> these, these guys are good. And they can get in there and put a structure up. And now they can add on to that. And they can make it bigger and more solid and add more things to it. And uh, they're just very excited about having that. But you, got, you had to remember that, uh, you know, this, this would be virtually impossible for them to get $1,500 uh, from from that church, from within itself, and to be able to get those supplies and do it. So, uh, you know, we're we're just we're just honored to be able to help and and to be able to minister to the folks that are over there. And I'd like to go visit that church sometime. That'd be really great. And uh, I'd, matter of fact, I'd love to have a team of builders I could take from here and go over and help out and or learn how they build a building in a week. That would be really nice. All right. Let's talk about the mind of Christ here this morning. And I, I'm going to ask you now if that's it for the PowerPoint. So I'm going to do this the manual way, but I'm going to need you in order to accomplish this this morning. I'm going to need you to uh, turn in your Bible to a couple of places here that are going to be significant for us this morning. All right. So we want to talk a little bit about this subject of the mind of Christ. And I want to launch into this uh, very specifically uh, today, and I, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of a life that's transformed by the gospel. Or, in other words, if, if we've been through the whole process of adoption, and adoption is a training of a, of a true son of God uh, by the Holy Spirit and through the word of the hour, uh, if, if the adoption process is, uh, is, is ongoing in our lives, what does that life look like after it's transformed by the gospel and by this mind that Paul is referring to here, the mind of Christ. And uh, we, we want to explore that a little bit. We want, to, uh, we want to just look at some of the different aspects of, of this this morning here. And some of this is going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit old hat. But uh, one thing is, is really uh, a common thread that runs through this whole idea is that for a believer, we are, we are not uh, called upon to create a way to heaven or to create a better way to heaven. We're never asked in the gospel to improve on God's way. God's way is perfect and God's way is right. How many believe that? You're not asked to improve on it. You're not asked to to make it better or easier or quicker. Uh, We're all going to get there at the same time. We're all going to get there the same way. Uh, we, We all came in the same way, right? By one spirit, we're all baptized into the body. Isn't that true? And we're going to get out of here the same way, by faith, like, just like Enoch, walking. And we're going to uh, take that final last step and we'll, we'll leave here in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. No one's going to get there early. Uh, we're all going to get there at the same time. We'll gather with those that have already gone on before us and we'll join together and go through those gates up above. And so the, 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 the common theme and the common thread is, is for us to obey and to submit to God's way and we, we have known and we've stated this many, many times in many ways that uh, God's ways are higher than our ways. They're not always logical, uh, but they work. And they're the safest way. And they're going to get us to where God intends us to be. So we, it is important for us to obey. And uh, the footsteps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And God knows exactly where he's placing his people. He knows exactly where we should be. And uh, so that we can become transformed by the gospel and uh, become everything that God's predestinated us to be. That, those are self-evident things, right? 
We're glad to have Stephen and Emily who have been here for a couple of months and uh, they're following, you know, a leading to do a, a very unique job in nursing and this is their last Sunday going to be with us and uh, we're, we're delighted to have them. And I, you know, I, um, you know, when you have a young couple like that and you think, wow, this is just a, a great opportunity for them to be able to go and visit different places and, and, and visit. But you know what? I, 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 it'd be easy to proselyte people like that, right? It'd be easily to, easy to just say, hey, you know, why don't, why don't you just stay? Why don't you? But really what we want for every, everybody who's here is to be in the center of God's will. And, and there are certain things that are going to happen because God's determined it that way. And I, I'm glad he's in control. Uh, for one, I'm just really glad that he's in control. Now, let me give you a little statement. This is found in Identification, uh, 1964. And Brother Branham, uh, you preached identification probably more than any other particular title of a sermon. And, and I believe he did because it is such a uh, strategically important thing for us to understand uh, about our real identity and who we are. We are, in a sense, two people at the same time, Right? Because we have an outer man that came from mom and dad, but we have an inner man that came from God. So in a sense, we are two people, and we have got to, in the, uh, in, in the, in the growth of a, a Christian's life, we've got to separate those two, because we live really in two worlds. We live influenced by two worlds at the same time. But we want the, the, the spiritual world, the heavenly world, to have more of an impact and more of an influence on our life than the natural world. And I, I pray, I often pray that the, the natural world would have less of a hold on me than, uh, than it did yesterday. I want to have the spiritual world or, or his kingdom to have more of an influence on my life uh, as I move forward than the natural world would have. I don't really care about my retirement so much. I don't really care about my possessions. Uh, the more I have, the more I have to charge. Right? The more stuff you have, the more you got to charge because everything is cordless now. So you have, uh, you know, when you're in your hotel room, all it is is a room full of blinking lights anymore. Uh, the more you have, the more you had to worry about. The more you, I mean, uh, I, to me, I'll be glad to leave it and, and just, just take my flight. I'll be glad to go. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I, don't, have, I don't have places in the world I want to visit. I'd like to go to Namanga and see their little church. Uh, but I don't have many other things I'd like to go on my bucket list. My bucket list is very, very short. Uh, because <clears throat> I feel like uh, I, I have another place I'd rather go. And if I'm going to put one thing in a bucket, it's going to be the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's where I want to go and see. I, and I'm not just being poetic here. That's really how I feel. I would rather go there and be there and do that than anything else I know of in the world. Now, <clears throat> Brother Branham says, he says, if you go to a certain denominational church like a Methodist or Presbyterian or Lutheran, something like that. He said, you have to identify yourself if, if you're going to speak. You've got you to be connected uh, to that group. You have to be, have a credential or a card or a fellowship card or something to identify yourself uh, to know where you come from in order to stand at the platform. And he said, you have to be identified. And it's an identifying age. He said, but we also, the Christian church itself, which is of no denomination, but of a nature... We, he said, who are of the Christian church, which is of no denomination, but a nature. The, Christ, the true Christian church is identified by a nature, not mine, but the nature of Christ, right? Would you agree? And he said, it is the mystical body of Christ 
And it's identified. Also, it bears identification. Jesus identified himself. Well, if Jesus identified himself, then the Christian church should identify itself, but not by its accomplishments or not by its size, but rather by its nature. The Christian church should identify itself by its nature because that is how a, a, real, uh, a real church is identified. Now, the, the word identity, and I've mentioned, I think, this to you before, but I need you to just uh, catch on to a couple of words here. The word identity is a set of behavioral characteristics or personal characteristics by which an individual is recognizable as a member of a group. It is the distinct personality of an individual regarded as a persisting entity. It's, it's the personality of somebody. Let me say that again. It is the, the distinct personality of an individual regarded as a persisting entity, the individuality of that person. So I will tell you that uh, if, for instance, just as an example, I was trying to think of an example I could be safe with, and you can't be, you, you can't be too careful these days. But if you went to Amish country, uh, and, and you visited among the people there, you would see identifying characteristics among the Amish <clears throat> that are unique to the Amish. And they, uh, you know, they, they have certain uh, uh, keys in, in terms of how they wear their clothing. If you're, like if you're married, you can't wear, uh, you can't have buttons, or uh, when, you're, when you're single, uh, you, you can't have a, a full beard, you can have a part beard, and all the other, uh, all the other th- characteristics that are it's very unique. And, and they have certain habits that identify them as, uh, as Amish people. They will, uh, like for instance, when you go to take their picture, they'll turn away from you. They have this real classic smooth way of turning away because they never like to be full-on face in front of a camera. So when you try to get your picture, even if they're driving down the road, they'll do this quick turn and get away just at the moment that you flash. It, it's, it's actually pretty cool how they do it. But they believe that that's a form of idolatry and they don't want you to have their image somewhere. Uh, that, that is, the, in their view, that is something that is scripturally inappropriate. But the Amish have a certain amount of characteristics and they, uh, you know, they, they have certain th- uh, th- traits about them that are identifiable. And if you were there, you'd know that you were in Amish country. If you went uh, to Layman's Hardware Store where uh, they go and get everything in their, in their buggies and so forth, you'd know you were in Amish country if you went to visit there. Now, this may seem a little funny, but uh, let's just say another subgroup within our culture is like, let's just say people who are considered rednecks. Now, I, I don't mean any negative thing here, and I, 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 I really don't. But there are certain, isn't it true, there are certain characteristics, certain attributes. And I, I'm, not, I'm not making fun. I'm not saying that they're, I'm not... Should I go on? But there are certain things that they like. There are certain things that, certain ways that they talk. There are certain names they give their children, like Bubba. And they, they wear a lot of camo. And, and, th- and that's all right. I mean, there's not a thing in the world wrong with that. It's not, it's not wronger or righter than any other subgroup, but, but it is a subgroup. And, and they're identified. And they, they like to be identified. We were in... Um, our uh, Sunday restaurant up, up, up in Carabas up here, we went up uh, one day, and the manager came over to me, and he said, uh, 
he, he said, hey, I, I had an interesting happened this week. And he said, there was a fellow who was in town from National Geographic and they were studying subcultures. And they were in Hickory, believe it or not. They were in Hickory. And I think they were here because there's a large Hmong community in Hickory. And they, they passed through and they were staying in one of the hotels and had lunch there. And this guy got talking to the manager and he was asking him about, told him what he was doing, subgroups and and he said, uh, you know, we're here studying different uh, folks and just gather, taking pictures and interviews and so on. And we're going to feature that in an upcoming article. And the manager said, oh, he says, I, I know a subgroup here in <coughs> Hickory. Really? He said, who are they? He said, you just go down Robinson Road, second church on the right. He said, that's a subgroup. And the pastor's name is Coffee. He said, you just go in there. And he said, they're a subgroup. And the National Geographic guy was pretty... Uh, interested in that. I mean, he, he never came, but, uh, you know, he was, he asked them lots of questions about that. And he said, they're a subculture. He said, yeah, they're a group like nobody else. He said, they can come in here. And he said, you can tell who they are. Even if they don't identify themselves, he said, you can tell who they are because he said, they're just so unique and they're so different in the way they dress and the way they talk and the way they act and the way they pray and everything else. He said, we just, we just uh, know that group as identifiable as other groups. And I thought, that's a nice compliment. That's a nice thing to have, that people would recognize that. So it, it is a, a, a set of <clears throat> behavioral or personal characteristics that are exclusive to some. And I, I don't mind uh, being identified that way. I really don't at all. Now, <clears throat> there, are, there are two kinds of uh, identification that I want to uh, take note of here this morning. One is an external factor, the external factors in your life. And that could be, um, you know, where, where you come from, like the family that you came out of and the environment that you came out of. If you came out of an abusive uh, family situation, you would have certain characteristics about you. Uh, if you, uh, if you came out of a, a solid Christian, uh, uh, home, then you would have certain characteristics about you as well. So these are external things. These are things that are, that are placed upon you. Now, <clears throat> I, I want to just share a little testimony with you. And this is in the sermon called testimony of William Branham. And it was preached back in 1960 when brother Branham's telling about how, uh, he, he came to the position that he was in on, on that particular day as being a prophet. And, and he's, it's a very interesting story, really, when you think about it. And he goes, get, jumps on the bus. He's on a city bus with a couple of other friends of his. And when he's standing there, it's crowded. When he's standing there, another couple of women get on the same bus with him. And all of a sudden, he said, in his own words, he's only a young man. He's not even really a fully dedicated Christian yet. But he says, all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed. And he said, I just picked this up. And I, he said, I'm sensitive to, to certain kinds of people. And he said, I was standing on the bus there and I knew something had happened, something different had happened. And this woman worked her way over to talk to Brother Branham and said, he said, uh, I'd like to speak to you. And, and Brother Branham says, well, what do you want? And he, you know, he, he, Brother Branham admits here, he says that I was nervous about strange women because the voice had told him in the tree. Remember a long time ago, don't smoke or drink or defile your body in any way. That's going to be a work for you to do later on. So he said when a woman approached him like that, he always drew back. He said, I've become, he said, even a little paranoid about this. And he said it was excessive. He said one time, but, but he said it, it really is God protecting his gift. He said that's what was happening. It was God was protecting his gift. And, and when, he, when God gave him that commandment early in his ministry, that's what he was doing. Protect yourself 
and don't get in the wrong company. Don't get involved in the wrong thing because there's a work for you to do later. So God was actually protecting the gift that was in him. All right. God knew what was coming. God knew what was going to happen there. And so Brother Branham goes on and he talks about this conversation with the woman. And uh, she said, you know, there's a, an, an aura about you. And Brother Branham says, what do you mean? He said, the woman said, well, she said, there's kind of a, a, a different atmosphere about you than anybody else. And she said, you were actually born for a purpose. And Brother Branham says, well, how would you know that? And, and he, he, he uses the word. He said, it scared me. And she said, haven't you ever talked to preachers? Haven't you ever gone to talk to a preacher? And he said, listen, ma'am, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but uh, if you don't mind, I don't want to talk about this, and I don't want to talk to you anymore. And she said, hey, I'll tell you how you were born. You were born in a little log cabin out in Kentucky, and when you, when you were born, there was a light that came in the room and hung over you, and she described his birth to him. And Brother Branham said, he said, ma'am, if you don't mind, I'm going to turn away. And she said, that's not very gentlemanly of you to do that. And I turned back to her again. This is what he says. I turned back to her again. I said, how did you know that? And she said, I will tell you also that you were born on April 6, uh, 1909, and describes everything about the, his birth. And then he says, uh, she says, I'm not, a, I'm not a preacher at all, but she said, I'm going to visit my son out in Chicago, and he's a preacher. And uh, he said, I will tell you this, that whenever God does anything on the earth, he always does it in the heavens first. And so whatever happened as your birth happened in the heavens first, and it was reflected on the earth. And she said, I am an astronomer, and I, I, I know that that's the consistent pattern that God has. And Brother Bram says, I don't know anything about that. And she said to him, and this is where I want to conclude with this little thought. He says, when, when before uh, Jesus was born, there were men that came from the east. And he said they, they saw it in the heavens and they followed that and they came to the place where Jesus was born. She said, you were born April the 6th, 1909, 5 o'clock in the morning. And that's when certain stars crossed. And I said, I don't know anything about it and I couldn't care less. And she said, all right. She said, you might pass it by, but said if you would respect it, it would shake the world. You might ignore it. You might pass it by, but if you respect it, it would shake the world. So in other words, in other words, here's Brother Branham's life now. God has, has something prepared for him that he knows nothing about in his natural mind. He's not thinking about this at all. But God already knows and foreordained him and brought him to the earth as a prophet and brought him to do a special work in the earth. And because these people are sensitive in the spirit, this astronomer woman, she recognizes that there's something about him that's different. And if he could ever tap into that, because he's ordained to that, she's ordained to observe it like the witch of Endor. Remember that? When she saw, saw uh, uh, the prophet Samuel in the other dimension, she was, not, uh, she was not the person to do anything about that, but she did recognize Samuel in that other dimension. And here's a woman with the same kind of a power who's able to recognize that he's got something about him, but it's not going to cause anything until he recognizes that. He becomes identified with that and steps into that channel himself. Now, I believe that's, in a, in, a, in a real sense, that is the path that every one of us 
really have been on because God ordained for us to be something and to do something in this earth, but it means nothing until you step into that and recognize that and become identified with the message of the hour and the Christ of this message. How many would agree? It, it takes that entering in. So there is a, an external, if you like, there's an external thing that happens. And then also as well, we could say that there is a, uh, you know, a, 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 an identification with the word of the hour uh, that, that aligns you or connects you uh, with the things of God. So for instance, let me just say it, describe it this way. If I could take your spirit out of you, if you who claim to be a believer, if I took your spirit out of you and put it in another person in a previous age, would they, would they go to, would they gravitate towards the word of the hour in that age with your spirit in them? That's a good question, isn't it? If I, Brother Bantam said, if I had the spirit of John Dillinger in me, I would rob banks and I'd, you know, hold up people and shoot guns and all the rest of it because that would be his spirit in me. Well, if I took your spirit out and put it in the days before the flood, would you get in the ark? And, and that identification is really a critical identification because uh, it, it, is, it is caused by something that is within us uh, that God places there. It's not something that you came up with by yourself. It is something that God has actually placed there. So in the, uh, in the message, again, identification, this is 1959. Brother Branham talks about, uh, he said that there were, uh, in his early days, he said, when I was a little boy, I read the book Tarzan of the Apes. You remember that, remember that old story? And he said, when I did, I went to my mother, and she had an old rug, an old fur rug uh, that somebody had given her. And he said, I cut that thing up and made me a Tarzan suit, and I slept out in the tree and uh, swung around and so forth. And he said, when I uh, read The Lone Ranger, I got a broomstick and made a hobby horse out of it. And he said, it's, it's no more than what little people will do. And he said, it's what you read and what you listen to. That's what you emulate. That's what you become. You identify with that. And so you want to be that way. Little girl, I have a little granddaughter, and she wants to be a mother. So she'll, uh, she'll talk about mothering and talk about who she's going to marry and talk about, uh, you know, the children that they're going to have and all the rest of it. And it's just something that she, she's fascinated with. She's just, uh, just really excited about that possibility. She's only very young. But it's, it's something that's there. And, and it's, a, uh, it's a reinforcement that comes from uh, without, but there's something in her that causes her to really cry out for that. So none of my grandsons are wanting to be mothers. Rest assured, and that's a good thing. But let me tell you something. It, it's a, there's a combination that, that we're identifying here, and that is this. That there's something that God places within you that you didn't place there, but God places within you. But there's other factors out here that actually call for that, even though you may not even understand what that is. And I don't believe that God is calling us at all in this day. And I, for you that are familiar with uh, the ministry of, the, of, of Brother Branham and, the, and the, the scripture, I don't believe that God is calling us to learn how to live a life or how to uh, become something by uh, looking at examples or reading books. I don't believe that that's what God's calling uh, us to do at all. I believe that God has placed something in us that already knows what it's supposed to be. And this message actually calls to that so that that can express itself automatically. 
Do you understand the difference? We're not trying to learn something here. We're not trying to, uh, you know, become something because, uh, you know, we got to figure out what to do in life. Hey, listen, a believer, he's interested in one thing, and that is walking in the will of God. He's interested in walking in the path of God. He's interested in hearing from God and fulfilling what God's predestinated him to be. And what we need to do first is listen for God to call because he's actually calling to this life on the inside so that it begins to manifest itself in a way that God has determined already. And that is a life that's transformed by the gospel. Now, <clears throat> I, I will say this, that if the job that God has and retains to himself is the resurrection, which we know that that's God's prerogative, right, to raise from the dead, my part, then, is the cross. Because as we read in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus humbled himself and took upon himself. He was obedient to the death of the cross. Hey, they never took his life. He gave his life. Isn't that right? And submitted himself completely to death and then was raised again on the third day. If the job of God is resurrection, then my job is to go to the cross. And I would say this to you, never miss out on an opportunity to die. Never miss out on an opportunity to die to yourself. Because that's the thing that God's calling you to do, is to let go of certain things. Let me, let me just, I mean, there's a lot of examples that we could use here. But when you think about pride, you know, the question of pride, or gossip, or self-righteousness, or critical spirits. You know, the thing about those things, they're very, very hard to deal with because they have enough truth in them to make people feel like they're always right and masquerade it in the principle of discernment. Let me tell you this. When, when, you, when you have a critical or self-righteous spirit about you, then you can sit there and you can look at things and you might have a certain amount of truth uh, in, in making statements about that person or about that church or whatever else. And, and a lot of times people have only enough information uh, to, to, to make themselves feel like they're correct in their assessment. And, and the disguise or the cloak over the whole thing, they think, is discernment. And it isn't at all. Because you really don't know what's going on in a person's heart because you hardly even know what's going on in your own heart. In other words, we should be very slow to judge others, but rather say, Lord, bring out the thing in me that needs to be transformed. Bring out the thing in me that needs to be changed. Because I can look at somebody else and I can see the obvious things that, oh, man, if I lived in that house, I'd do that with that kid. Or I'd, you know, I, I, I'd uh, change this or I'd change something else. Hey, let me tell you something. A lot of times you don't know half the story. You don't know half of what's going on. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you can get a, uh, as a pastor, sometimes, you, you know, you hear about certain things and certain things going on with people. And uh, you, you hear what... You hear what other people are hearing. You hear what other people are saying. And I find that the most effective way to deal with things, number one, is not from here. Not from here. Because when you begin to counsel from here, everybody in the church starts to say, well, I hope sister so-and-so hears that. And I hope that family hears that. Everybody's putting it off onto another family. And the people who really need it become defensive, and they're not going to get it at all. So... The, the pulpit is really not a place for personal counsel. You know where the best place is for personal counsel? That is one-on-one. -on -one. 
And when, you, when, when, when people have a feeling of trust and they're willing to talk to you about what's really going on, you get a sense that very often is different than what everybody else might be saying. But it's so, it, we as human beings, and I'm not being critical of you, I'm just saying it, it's a general principle that very quick we can be critical or very quick uh, we can be self-righteous about things. I mean really don't know the full uh, scope of the story. So what I'm simply saying to you is that you should never miss an opportunity to die and to die out to things that really don't matter. Never miss out on an opportunity to die because your job, your place is at the cross. His job is to resurrect. His job is to replace that old dead thing with something that's new and better, right? We're going to put off the old man. We're going to put on the new man. How are we going to put off the old man? Well, we're going to go to the cross and we're going to repent of those things and we're going to put them off because uh, they don't work in God's kingdom. They don't match. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if they don't match, if you're going to that kingdom and the way you're living and the way you're thinking doesn't match with that kingdom, then let me tell you, God's interested in changing you here before you get there. God is not afraid to challenge your understanding of Scripture. God is not afraid to challenge your understanding of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I kind of think he delights in watching us feel so confident about Scripture. If you don't mind, take your Bible. Here's one of the places I want you to, to just to show you here for a moment. Go back to Proverbs chapter 26. Just for a moment here, Proverbs chapter 26. Keep your Bible handy. We're going to look at a couple of places here. But in chapter 24, sorry, chapter 26. Verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest lest thou also be like unto him. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Okay? Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Let's do this again now. Verse 4. Answer not a folly according to his uh, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be also like unto him. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Okay, Lord, which one? It's kind of like the guy one time, a preacher visited a house. I heard the story. The preacher visited a house, and it was an old man sitting in a rocking chair, and he had a cat. And uh, as he was rocking, he, he stroked the cat. You know, with every rock of the chair, he stroked the cat. The problem was is that he was stroking the cat from the tail to the head. And if you know anything about cats, and I'm sorry for you if you do, But if you know anything about cats, the wrong thing to do is rub it from the tail to the head. And the guy said, the preacher said to him, sir, you're rubbing the cat the wrong way. And he said, well, have the cat turn around. I said all that to say this. When it comes to scripture, don't ask God to turn around. He's going to want you to turn around. Because our thinking, the way we view things sometimes is 
well, this is what this means, and this is what I, uh, this is what I want to do, and this is what my understanding of it is. You should always be ready to die or to let go of your understanding when God has a greater and a more powerful or a more intimate meaning of the Scripture applying it to you. He's not going to turn around. He knows what he means with the word, and he's going to say what he means, and that's the way it's going to be. Now, if you don't mind, let's just take a look at something here. And I want to uh, just preface these remarks by saying that when it comes to this idea of, uh, of, of identity, it's really important for us as believers at this particular hour to have the right kind of confidence in who we are. Everything, everything about our culture today and the modern culture is about stripping away anything that's related to biblical standards or biblical morals. I think uh, Keith mentioned it this morning. Uh, about our culture, anything that, that is sacred like that is, is quickly being at least poked at. It's being, uh, uh, you know, undermined. It's being uh, belittled, if you like. There are, there are a lot of criticisms of people that hold on to Scripture as some sort of a standard or some sort of an absolute, Right? I mean, you won't find that popular. You can't take that into the public forum anymore and use that as a, a, a you know, a, a talking point. You can't use it as a, as a point of reference anymore because they've, kind of, they've essentially moved the Bible aside and moved the, the moral standards aside. So therefore, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to make a, a new generation feel like you don't need the Scripture at all. You don't need to have that. But I'm here this morning telling you that with the mind of Christ, we believe that God's word is true and right. And it is, an absolute, it is an absolute to us in itself, but it also is a guide for us to help us to know exactly how that we should live and how we should conduct ourselves. And the Bible tells us that we should conduct ourselves with confidence. As a matter of fact, the word self-esteem that is used today is a derivative of the word in the Bible for confidence. And Proverbs 3.26 says, you don't need to turn to this, the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Proverbs 14, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Say it with me, in the fear of the Lord. Let's try that again. You're supposed to say it after I say it. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. In the, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. That's, that's where our confidence comes from, is in the fear of the Lord. We respect God's word. We believe God's word. We know it's true. We believe that it's right. And in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Let me tell you, the people who believe and trust God will always have a place of safety to turn to. They'll always have, hey, when they mess with medical uh, coverage and insurance and so forth, and it ain't going to remain like it is forever, when all of those things that, that are safety nets, when they go away uh, because of the economy and all the other things that are happening in our country, the believer will never be without a place of healing. They'll never be without a resource for healing or sustenance because God said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And David prayed one time. He said, Lord, no man be so poor that I have to steal from my neighbor or too rich that I wouldn't think of you. I believe that the believer always will have a resource. And I believe this, when you go to other cultures like over in Africa and, uh, you know, they don't have any federal or, or national health care. They don't have hospitals. Even the government will say when you visit the country, don't get sick here. Because if we get sick, we have no real credible health care system at all. You're better off not getting sick or go to another country if you do get sick. I mean, that's what the government actually tells you. 
And when those people who live in that culture, live in that country, when they come for prayer in a prayer line, buddy, you better be ready to pray because they mean business with God. And some of you that are here, you know that. Some that are listening already know that. But I will tell you this for sure, that, you know, for us, uh, we, we have lots of different avenues, right? We have uh, medical people right here in our own assembly. And we have, uh, you know, all the time they say, well, if you need this medicine and you can't afford it, we're going to make a way for it. And, uh, you know, if you don't have any resources or finances, then the government's going to do this. And there's all kinds of safety nets around us here. I say this, for the believer, we always have a place of refuge because if the safety nets are all stripped away, we still have a resource to turn to and that is the fear and confidence of God the place of his presence that's where we always have to turn to now take your Bible again let's go to Acts chapter 28 and I want to just show you a little example here of this confidence because I think this is a it's, it's a great practical example here Acts 28 this is towards the end of Paul's ministry and his life and uh, he's traveling to Rome he's going by boat Acts chapter 20, sorry, I mean Acts chapter, I'm sorry. In Acts chapter 28 and verse 30, this is the end of Paul's life. Acts 28, 30, and Paul dwelt two whole years in his own own hired house. Now remember, he's chained to to a guard here, right? He's got a guy, he's got a chain on his ankle and he's strapped to a guard. And he's paying for his own hired house. And he's received all that uh, came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Paul's in this situation where he's due for an audience with Caesar because he's appealed to Caesar, the highest court in the land. And once that decision is made, it could be the end of his life, which we know it is. But in the meantime, here's Paul in this condition now going to the Supreme Court of the country, and he's chained to a guard. He has no freedom, but he's in there preaching up a storm in his house. Where does that confidence come from? How can a man who's in such desperate conditions find himself in a, a, you know, with an attitude of confidence like he's describing here? Go back to chapter 27, if you will. Now, watch in 27, just a couple of verses here to give you the the background. Paul now is, is sailing to Crete. He's on his way. Uh, to, to Rome, and uh, as they take off in the journey there, uh, the Bible says in verse 13 that when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed by Crete. But not long after there rose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. What in the world is a Euroclidon? It is the Greek word for typhoon. And I didn't know that. But long afterwards, verse 14, not long after there arose this tempestuous wind. I've sailed on a boat around Crete. I know exactly what it looks like. And and Sister Becky's done the same thing. And it's amazing how great storms can come up in a very short period of time, even if you're in the Sea of Galilee, just over a little bit down in Israel. So there came this tempestuous wind similar to a typhoon that's there. So that's the condition now that, that uh, this, this ship is in. There are a couple of hundred people who are on this ship. There are prisoners on there. There are army uh, guards on there. There are sailors on there. There's lots of cargo on there. And now they're in the middle of a, a, a typhoon. V- verse 22, 
And now Paul says, I exhort you and be of good cheer because this storm doesn't relent. It just goes on and on. Paul gets up and he says in 22, For now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Ship's going to go down, but nobody's going to be lost. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Now let me tell you something. Paul is acutely familiar with the prophecies about false prophets. He's read Deuteronomy 13. He's read Deuteronomy 19. He knows he knows the consequence of a false prophet. He's going to die. But Paul gets up and says to these people in the middle of a typhoon, and they're tossing things over the side of the ship. They're trying to do every. If you read the chapter, they're trying to do everything they can to salvage this thing. And Paul says, God spoke to me and said, Hey, the ship is going to go down, truly, but nobody's going to be lost. Well, now, people's reaction to this is quite varied. <clears throat> and uh, if you'll read in verse 30, just a couple of verses here. In verse 30, And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, and they had let down their boat into the sea under color as though they would cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. I'll give you a piece of advice. Don't leave the ship until it's time to leave the ship. These are a group of people now that want to get out because they'd feel like, hey, there's no, the, the, the conditions are worsening and they feel like, hey, we're going to make a run for it. And Paul says, hey, don't you depart from what God has said. You stay right with the ship until God tells you to get off this ship and we're all going to get off together and we're all going to get off safely. But when you step out and do this thing on your own, you know what? You're going to be in trouble waters, pardon the pun. You're going to be in deep water and it's not going to be pretty if you leave the ship. That's all he said. And they're all standing there and they're thinking about their lives. They're thinking about, my goodness, what, uh, what's going to become of us and what's going to happen and how long is this going to go on? And they all kind of stopped and looked at one another and the Bible says, you can, t- you can read on a little bit further, and it says they came and they cut the ropes and let the boat go. And they just stayed. Because somehow or another, I mean, they're not, the only believer that we know of is on this ship is Paul. And, and Paul's got such confidence in what he's saying and what God has spoken to him. And an angel has actually come and, and talked to him. And he's standing there. And, and the, uh, you know, the sailors are looking at him and saying, somehow or another, I can't understand it. I can't figure it out. But somehow or another, I believe he's right. He's one man among us who knows what's going on when nobody else has got any answers and nobody else has got any solutions there. And so they all look at one another and they all stop. And they say, all right, we'll wait it out. Verse 41. Falling into a place where two seas meet, they ran the ship aground, and the fore part struck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any, any of them should swim out and escape. So in order to prevent anybody escaping here, let's kill all the prisoners here so nobody gets away. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded them that they could swim, that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land and the rest, some on board, some on broken pieces of the ship. And so the bottom line is, and it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Somebody say amen. Amen. 
So not only do we have Paul now being used to, uh, to speak to the people and tell them what's actually going to happen, but believe it or not, God is watching over this situation as well. And, and here they are. They made it an executive decision. Let's kill all the prisoners because, uh, you know, they, they'll all run, to, run away and they'll all escape. And, and this one guard here, he's got it on his heart. He said, no, if they do that, they're going to kill Paul. So let's not kill any of them, but rather just grab a piece of the ship and float your way to the shore and get there. Let me tell you, these are not just random events. This is God watching out for his elect. <clears throat> this is God protecting his gift. In the same way that Brother Branham was on that bus with that woman telling him about it and Brother Branham describing how that, you know, when he was out with those young people and he took that bottle of whiskey and they dared him to take a drink and he went to take a drink and that whirlwind sounded again and he threw it down. He said, what was it? He said, it was God protecting his gift. So the part that Paul could do, he says and says confidently, and the part that he cannot do, he cannot stop these soldiers and turn them all around, but God's watching out for him and taking care of Paul. And he knows exactly that what, if that angel had said that you're all going to make it to shore, somehow Paul's got the confidence, <clears throat> excuse me, he's got the confidence that the God who made the promise about, uh, you know, everybody being saved and the ship being lost, if that was God, then God cannot defeat his purpose by allowing the soldiers to kill him. Paul believes that if God said that, God's going to see him all the way through safely on the shore and he's going to finally get to Caesar. How many of you would agree? So that's why over in chapter 28, when he preaches to the people there, even though his conditions are terrible, he's got a promise and he's got confidence. He knows that if God said it's going to come to pass, right? Many times, many times, people like us, we get thrown off if God doesn't answer prayer the way that we assume he's going to answer prayer. We think God's going to do something pretty fast, right? We're spoiled in a sense, and I say this respectfully. We are spoiled in a sense by, you know, having, uh, having watched Brother Branham in the prayer line, and people would come and he'd lay hands on them, they'd be healed, delivered completely in an instant. It'd be done, right? Lots of us have seen, have seen that or heard that on tape, and, and you realize, wow, I mean, that's, that's just an amazing thing. But you remember now, he's, he's got an amazing gift, and he's, he's representing Christ on the earth as a last, as an end time sign for the elect. And, he, and, and, and God is doing this through that gift of healing that's given to him, right? God's doing that through that gift of healing that's given to Brother Branham. And, and so uh, there's, there's miracles and instantaneous things that are happening. And so for us, sometimes we'll pray and we'll ask God for a particular thing and it doesn't happen right away. I would give you a little piece of advice. Don't jump ship, but just wait until... God works it all out. Because if you believe God and you have confidence in him, it's going to happen exactly the way that God planned it. You've got to remember Dothan. When you get into a place where you feel like God doesn't answer prayer, you've got to remember Dothan. D-O-T-H-A-N. Dothan is a place in the Bible. It's only mentioned two times. <clears throat> the first time that it's mentioned is when Jacob sends Joseph to visit his brethren. And he says, go and find them and bring them victuals and find out how they're doing. Remember they were off herding sheep? Remember that? And jo Jacob sends off Joseph and says, go find out uh, you know, how they're doing and take your coat of many colors and go visit them and you know, bid them Godspeed and bring them food and supplies and uh, you know, new uh, phone cards for their phones or a new charger or whatever else. And and uh, just check on them and see how they're doing. So when, when they, uh, Joseph goes into the country where they're supposed to be shepherding, 
and uh, he asks around, and they said, oh, they said, no, those guys, they went off to Dothan. So Joseph walks to Dothan, and he comes in the Bible, he comes down to Dothan, and it's found in Genesis chapter 37. And when they were in Dothan, the brothers see Joseph coming afar off, and they, they look at him, and they say, ah, let's destroy Joseph, and they, they plot and they, they, they dig the hole, they're going to throw him down into the pit. They take his cloak of many colors, dip it in blood. And now they're going to create this scheme where they're going to tell Jacob that he died. And they don't want to have his blood in his hands. So these traders came down from uh, the far country. Remember that? And they sold Joseph into slavery. And off Joseph goes. Where did it begin? At Dothan. I believe that Joseph would have began to pray differently in Dothan. And ask God for deliverance. Do you believe that? Joseph probably would have said, Lord, what's happening? Lord, uh, help me out here. This, this can't be happening. This can't be real. And now he's thrown into a place where, because of the circumstances, he's crying out to God in a, in a unique way, in a way he's never done before because he's been blessed in many areas of his life, had visions and dreams. He's a prophet after all. But now all of a sudden here he is and he's headed down with a rope around his neck and walking through the desert. He's not riding on a camel. He's walking behind a camel and he's going all the way down to Egypt. He's going to be sold in the, in the slave market to Potiphar's house. Imagine how Joseph must have prayed. Where did it all begin? It began in Dothan. And sometimes the way that God answers prayer is not overnight. It's not this way. I, 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 sorry, I can't click my fingers. Uh, it doesn't happen... Like this. Same point. <clears throat> My fingers will click without me clicking them. Joseph waits in prison in Potiphar's house and in the guardhouse of the king for 21 years. And Brother Branham said that in his desperation, Joseph cried out to God. And I don't have the quote here, but Brother Branham said that God came to him in his cell. God visited him in his cell and comforted Joseph and I guess helped him realize there was a purpose, there's a reason why you're here. There's a reason, there's something that I'm training you to do. There's a, a stewardship in you that I want to bring out because one day you'll be over everything in Egypt and you'll be second only to Pharaoh. Hey, Joseph doesn't know any of that prior to sitting on the throne. But, but God comes to him in his prison. God doesn't release him from the prison, but he visits him in the prison and, and God knows that his presence is a thing that will sustain Joseph through there. Where did it all begin? It began in Dothan. And I believe when Joseph went to Dothan and met his brothers there and was sold into slavery, his life changed and his prayer life changed and the way he talked to God, everything about it changed. But there's something else that happened in Dothan. You remember when Elisha and his servant Gehazi were out in the village one time and they were getting their food for the day that's how they did it back then and the syrians had surrounded the town and everybody in the everybody in the town the community were they they were panicking they were running around trying to find food and protection and you know is there any extra uh, guns or ammunition good luck uh, anything we can protect ourselves with. And they're running around, they're scurrying around the town, and they're all very concerned here because you can look up on the mountaintops and you can see all the Syrian soldiers that are besieging this little village. And Elijah looks up at it and he says, Hey, Gehazi, there's more of us than there are of them. He says, Really? He says, Yes. And he prayed that God would open 
his open eyes and let him see in that spiritual realm. And there was all kinds of angels and, and uh, you know, warriors there uh, in that spiritual realm. And there was many more of them than there was of the natural enemy. And then God wins a great victory there uh, for Elijah and, and, and his servant Gehazi there. You know what that was? That was the village of Dothan. And there are times when God will answer your prayer in a fast, noisy, obvious way. It happens. And it happens just like that. But there are times when the prayer request begins at Dothan and carries on through a whole season of life. It was still God answering prayer, but he just answered it in two different ways. Both of those ways took place in Dothan. Our problem is that very often we'll jump ship. We'll feel like, my goodness, uh, you know, there's... Uh, there's no hope. There's no, there's no, uh, no way we can, we can do this. No way we're going to win. There's no way God's going to answer prayers. No way God's going to give me an answer. There's no way out of this problem. Let me tell you, your view of God is pretty small if you feel like that there is no answer that God can come up with for your problem. Your view of God is pretty, uh, pretty stunted, wouldn't you say? Because with God, nothing's impossible. But, but answers to prayer don't always come overnight. Remember Dothan. Remember that there are times when God will do something very fast, very obvious, very noisy, and hey, you know, fire falls out of heaven or whatever else. God can do that. But there's other times when that's really when your life took a change and you begin to pray differently. You talk to God differently. Might have been at Dothan as well. But let me tell you, there's nothing you go through that God is not mindful of. Let me tell you a little story. Beyond the Curtain of Time, 1961, Brother Bram tells that. I mentioned this story to you before a long time ago when there was a young lady. She was about 18 years old. She was a twin. And there was two of these girls who were very pretty girls raised in a very fundamental Christian home. As a matter of fact, this girl's mother was a, a, a former girlfriend of Brother Branham years ago before he was married. And so he knew this family very well. And he said, the, the father of this girl was actually a friend of our family. He said, we knew him very well. They were very fine people. They went to a church in Louisville. And he said, they were both twins. And as they were raised in a, a home that practiced holiness, he said, these ki- kids went through a lot at school. And one of the girls, one of the twins, just deflected things. You know, just, hey, didn't bother me. Sticks and stones will break my bones, uh, which is a terrible little rhyme. But nonetheless... Uh, this other girl was affected by all the ridicule and all the, all the comments that were made about her. And she developed a complex. And then she began to feel really bad about it. And Brother Branham said in his words, he said, then she began drifting. She began drifting in her spirit. And she kept going and going. There was no stopping that. And he said she just kept going out into a place where finally she was institutionalized. And when Brother Branham tells a story, which is 1961, it's March 5th, the family was on their way to the tabernacle after service, and they were going to take this girl to Crandall, Indiana, and put her in a, uh, an institution where they did lobotomies and they put people in a padded room. It was a terrible thing uh, back then. And so they were on their way. They were on their way to, to come to the tabernacle to pick up Brother Branham to pray for that girl because the next step was this institution. And once you got to this institution, there was no way out. And so Brother Bram's telling the story here. And he said, I met the girl beforehand. He said, I met the girl. 
And he said, this is the way he said it. There's nothing physically wrong with that girl. She's perfectly healthy. He said, it's hard to explain, but there's no physical break in her life. Now, if you come to me, if you have a family issue and you come to me and there's some issue with a child, I'll always ask you those questions first. Is there something medical or something physical uh, that, that might be wrong? Like if your kid is, is really antsy and really jittery, and uh, if I ask you what they, what they normally have for their meals in a day, and you say, well, a six-pack of Mountain Dew is normally how they start, well, you know, sis, uh, we might want to make a few changes there. That's a physical thing. Sometimes a doctor can diagnose things that are physically wrong with a person that, you know, may be fixed by some sort of therapy or medication or whatever else. I mean, sometimes there are situations like that. And we can think all kinds of things. But Brother Bram said in this girl there was no physical break at all. He said what happened was her spirit wandered. Now let me tell you something. When you wind up in an institution like that because your spirit's wandered, that's not the Holy Spirit leading you. Are we okay? That's not the Holy Spirit that's leading you now. There's a wrong spirit involved there. And got this girl to the place where she's full of complexes and now she's moving out, not communicating with anybody. She's in a pretty desperate state here. And Brother Branham said now, he said, we believe that the promise is ours. And he said, well, I'm going to go and talk to the girl. He said, beautiful girl. He said, her mother used to be one of my girlfriends. And he said she was just a lovely Nazarene people. And he says, I'm asking you now. He asked the congregation, I'm asking you now to pray with me. He says that God will deal with that girl and bring her back to a place. And the avenue she's got to come through will be an avenue of faith. She can't have faith for herself. She don't know where she is or anything else. So he said, would you pray that, that, that God would allow the right kind of faith to be exhibited here that we can break through that and find that girl and lead her back to this place? So after service now, the family comes. They take Brother Branham off to Indiana, Croydon, Indiana. And then he says, in the next Sunday sermon, this is uh, 0315. So Brother Branham's reporting on this now. And he said, when I went to the hospital, the, the, the nurse said, said, Brother Branham, the only thing she keeps talking about is blood on the highway and things like that. The funniest things, the oddest things. And I said, how long has this been going on where she talked about blood on the highway? And they said, two years. Two years, she's describing this thing about blood on the highway. And Brother Branham turns to the girl now who's sick, about 18 years old. He turns to the girl who's sick, and I kept talking to her. And he says, oh, but for the grace of God. In just a few minutes, he said, the Holy Spirit began to move, and he sensed that spirit moving in. And I said, Margaret, you don't know me, but all your life, since you've been big enough to know about boys, you always had it in your mind that you were going to marry a preacher. You wanted to marry a preacher. And she turned and looked at Brother Branham and began to smile. And he said, that caught her. And I seen the Holy Spirit had it then. And I turned to the parents and I said, thus saith the Lord, it's over. And little by little, she came right back to a normal girl and was released from the hospital. Brother Branham went outside the hospital and said to himself, and he told the congregation, it's in the next line, he said, I, told, I, I said to myself and I said to the congregation, what did I just say? He had no idea really what was happening in that girl's life. He really had no idea what the blood on the highway meant. He just, he just was inspired to say the right thing, to cat, hook that girl and to bring her back into that place. 
where she could come back to being normal again. You know what it is? It's God watching over his gift. It's God watching over his elect. In the same way that the angel would inform Paul on the ship or Brother Branham on the bus, it's God looking out for his own. Every one of you probably can relate in some way how God, you know, changes things, moves things around in your life to bring you to a place that only he knows about. And let me tell you something. When you recognize those influences in your life, whether, whether you come Dawson the slow way or whether you come Dawson the fast way, either way, let me tell you something. We have confidence that we know that the God who brought us here is the God who will bring us all the way through. The God who has brought you to the place you are today is the same God that's going to take you all the way through. And that is the confidence that comes from within. That is a mind of Christ that transforms the life so that they can follow the will of God and know that it is the will of God that's leading them. Let's have your musicians just slip up, if you will. Paul said, let this mind be in in you. The same mind that was in Christ, let this mind be in you. That kind of thinking, that even if it doesn't make sense, even if, I I I told Brother Joe, Brother Joe Pascal sitting here, and I told Brother Joe, uh, you know, after he came out of the the stint with the hospital and the, the virus and all the rest of it and being on the ventilator, I said, the only thing I can say is that, number one, this is an answer to prayer, and number two, God must have a purpose in your life that you don't know anything about. Because a lot of lives are snuffed out, a lot of lives ended, and, and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who didn't make it through. And there's Brother Joe comes straight out and standing up again. Let me tell you, it's got to be a purpose in a person's life. It's, it's somebody watching over that individual, somebody caring about that individual and, and got, a, got a reason for him to live and got a purpose for him in his life. You may not always know that. You may, like Joseph, here he is being led down through the desert and going into a place that he has no physical way of escape. He's got nothing he can do to alter this, this whole thing, nothing he can do to change it. And he's reaching out to God and praying to God and looking to God and trying to understand, trying to figure it all out, what's going on. Let me tell you, he has no answers for it at all. But yet somehow... God allows it to happen because he's building something in Joseph and building a character and building all of this in Joseph here because he's got a plan. I don't think it's a fluke or coincidence or a gamble on God's part or a roll of the dice that you and I are here in the last day. God has chosen exactly who he wants to be here to hear the unfolding of this message in the last day. So our bodies will will actually be changed. Let's stand to our feet. God knew exactly that you would be here in this very last day. To me, the best thing that we could do, and I've said it and we've said it and ministers have said it and we've said it over and over again in lots of different ways, the very best thing you can do is obey, submit, just let God have his way in your life. Develop that sensitivity to God and believe that. Let me tell you, if the enemy could, he would have destroyed you a long time ago. But the fact that you're still here proves that his power is limited and what you have in you is unlimited against the enemies of the kingdom of God. You believe that today? I'll tell you what. Let's sing that little chorus, Draw Me Close to You. Jesus, draw me close. Let's sing that this morning here and we're going to have our dedication in just a moment here. Just worship just for a moment here uh, together. Jesus, draw me close. 
closer, Lord, to you. And let the world around me fade away. Jesus, draw me Just worship him this morning. Oh, Jesus, draw me close, closer, Lord, to you, and let the world around me say. Give myself away. 
just give ourselves away just place our lives in your hands afresh and Lord I don't think you want us to find a better way, a quicker way or a way around trouble I believe Lord you're present to bring us through everything we can face you have a plan you have a purpose you have a path Lord may we be faithful to your leadership minister to those who are sick today Lord I pray Father, may we who are strong, we who have faith, and we who believe in the promises of God, Lord, we just ask that your mercy be extended, Lord, to Brother Roger, Brother Jeff, who are recovering, Lord. Give them, I pray, victory and complete recovery. We place them into your hands now. In the lovely and holy name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And amen. Yes, Jesus loves me. Let's have uh, the Godwins come on up here and bring Lily and Joy. Whoever else is going to join them, I'm not sure who's going to be coming, but... For the Bible tells me so Little ones To Him belong They for a moment here. just want to say this. We're honored to have all of you here today. It's a blessing to see you and multiple generations here uh, surrounding Josh and Kristen and their kids. And I think, I think the way that God intended it was just exactly this way, that, 
that families are not solitary units, but we thrive on, we need the support of multiple generations and generations with wisdom and, and experience and just the, the knowledge of how this all works because uh, any family bringing up children today deserves support and they deserve everything we can do to hold hands with them, put our arms around them to be able to help them through and encourage them in the difficult times and uh, to be able to just be grandpa and grandma and do everything that, that involves. So uh, you are blessed to have so many people around you today, and I think that's a great thing. And uh, as a church, we want you to know that we do pray for you and uh, for the kids that God will uh, help them to grow in, in grace and knowledge and, and also to stand with you and for you as well because that's what families do. So let's read from the Scripture. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. And verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. Lillian is a beautiful flower, but it also is a name for purity. And joy means joy. Joy means happiness. And so this is just pure happiness. You're blessed. You're blessed to have a sister like this. Aren't you? Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence today, and thank you for this little lily and joy and what joy she's already brought into our hearts. Today we celebrate her coming into this world, and Lord, it is your way of saying that life goes on. We thank you for her. And we pray now a prayer of dedication over her, that she would be consecrated to you, and that, Lord, as she grows, that she would learn to love you and to draw near to you and to seek you, Lord, with all of her heart. And may she live in a pure and a gracious and a holy way, that she can be the the wife of some young man, Lord. And I, I just I just pray that your hand of mercy would rest upon her. Lord, bless Josh and Kristen and all the family. And Lord, may they have wisdom and patience and a lot of love to give to this little girl. We commit her in your hands. We thank you, Lord, for life. We thank you for the way that it all happens. And the very best thing we can do now is just ask your blessing upon her. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ and for your glory. And Lillian said, that's enough for now. We're going to give her back to mom. God bless you. God bless you all. Thank you. Let's sing it again. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? May God bless you. Let's sing that little chorus. We worship you, Almighty God. There's none like you. <clears throat> Anybody needs prayer, you you regular folks, we, we know that if we're always glad to pray with somebody or if somebody 
needs something. Stephen, Emily, God bless you. We have loved having you with us. And may the Lord guide your footsteps and your journey back now out west. And uh, it's been an honor. The door is always open. And uh, we appreciate you both being here today. God bless you all. Andy, Jessica, family, good to have you all here. And everybody, may the Lord bless you. I worship you, almighty God, for there is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace, that is one. I long to do, and I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. I God bless you as you go. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like I worship you, O Prince of I want to do I give you praise For you are my righteousness Oh, I worship you Almighty There is none like you. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Jesus was the best thing.